Would you please pray with me? God of our longing and not yet, like children, we want to rush to the end of this story. We want the joy and the celebration. And here we sit in the longing. But God, you give us days like today and you give us moments like this moment where we are called to celebrate, to rejoice. God, let us rejoice with courage. Let us rejoice as an act of resistance. God, let us rejoice because you are our rock and you are our redeemer. Amen. I went to an itty-bitty college in North Carolina. Red brick walkways lined with magnolia trees and Bradford pears and cherry blossoms in the spring. Catawba College is one of the few colleges still affiliated with the United Church of Christ, much like Elmhurst College for those of you who are familiar with a local equivalent. And as a minister's child, I wanted to go somewhere that I felt I would get a good education, but that I would also feel a connection to my faith. And this school, this college loved me into my best self. The professors challenged and cheerleaded me along the way. And friendships that formed there have just continued to grow and to deepen. Feelings I'm sure many of you share about the places where you spent that time in your life. But for me, one friendship emerged in particular that has seen us both through college and then through seminary and now years of ministry. My friend Molly serves as a pastor at a UCC church in Lakewood, Colorado. And I've been blessed both by her friendship, but also by her wisdom as a minister. And last year, Molly's church held a sermon series during Lent, meditating on the words from the beloved carol, O Holy Night. They reflected on the phrase, a weary world rejoicing. I loved this then. And in this strange and impossibly hard year, these words seem to ring even more true now. Because I am weary. I'm weary, yes, in the ways that new parents everywhere share in weariness. Sand, gritty eyes, <laughs> nights holding Eliza and rocking her and wondering if this is what Mary must have felt trying to lull baby Jesus to sleep. Please, God, just sleep. But I'm also weary in larger ways. I'm weary of carrying around grief. After my grandmother's death in September, we were not able to grieve in the ways that we've learned as a community how to grieve and find comfort. Honestly, I'm weary of the mask wearing and the hand disinfecting and the distancing. I'm weary of not being able to give big bear hugs where we just hold on for a few seconds extra and feel love seep into that moment. I'm weary of the juggle of 
full-time childcare and trying to full-time parent. I'm weary of the ways that it feels like joy has been robbed from us. As I watched my brother and sister-in-law two weeks ago get married over Zoom, I felt so much joy for them, but I also wanted so desperately to raise a glass and to dance the night away celebrating their love. But there's more than personal weariness. I'm sure each and every one of you share those heavy-hearted stories as well. And there's this communal weariness that we all fear. We're weary of political posturing. We are weary of death counts and ICU bed watches. We're weary of having to reinvent and reimagine and reconcile ourselves to the fact that things aren't what we want or even maybe what they ought to be. We are weary. On a theological level, we are weary because the incarnation matters. Bodies matter. Jesus coming physically, messily into this human world, this human form matters. Touch matters. Touch makes miracles happen as the blind see and the lame walk. And we are left with some sort of hologram holiday this year. Our world is weary. And in this Advent, we are weary of waiting for the coming and the not yet. But this Sunday, we are also given a seemingly Herculean feat as we light this pretty pink candle of joy. We are called to rejoice. And so what does this mean? How do we cultivate joy personally and communally amidst the weariness that we feel? When I don't know the answer, sometimes I turn to others who inspire me. And I've had the joy and privilege of working with some truly amazing seminarians through our internship program here at the church. And I've often found that I've learned more from them than I ever expected or imagined. And I hope that they learn a fraction of as much from us. When meditating on joy, one of our former interns came to my mind, Mahogany Thomas, who served with us several summers ago, who graduated this past spring from Yale, and who's now serving a congregation in DC. Mahogany, if you know her, is full of joy. Her red lipsticked smile coming to mind, infecting me in this contagion that I want to spread. Almost daily on her Instagram account, Mahogany points to the ways that joy appears in her life. And so this week I called her and I asked her about joy. And before I share some of her thoughts, I want to invite you to pause for a moment. I want you to think about joyful moments from your life. Where have you felt that joy in your body? Is it a swelling up in your chest? Can you feel it in your face as your smile stretches? I want you to think about what you're doing in that moment. 
Maybe you're singing in a choral concert. Maybe you're at a wedding. Maybe you're just at home in your kitchen dancing. I want you to think about who you're around. Maybe you're in that complete state of peace with yourself, this beloved that God created. Maybe you're surrounded by family and loved ones and friends. Maybe you're in the beauty of Mother Nature. I want you, too, to think about that physical location. Are there places that cultivate joy for you? Mahogany, she reflected that in our world, so often we think of joy in those big moments, those graduations and weddings, those birthdays and celebrations. And in many ways, these things are so different right now. As a woman from small-town Missouri, Mahogany has felt her own grief, not getting to walk at the graduation she worked so hard for, not getting to say goodbye and celebrate a congregation who she ministered with for years, and not getting the handshakes and hugs of being welcomed into the church where she now serves. Since these big moments wouldn't happen, Mahogany decided that as a means of self-preservation, she says, she would find joy daily, and she would document it, and she would share it. Some days, joy is a latte at your local coffee shop. Some days, joy is sitting in the sunshine. Some days, joy is the crunch of autumn leaves beneath your feet. Some days, Joy is a friend sending you a photo of their baby. Some days, joy is a meal well-cooked or getting to watch your little brother play basketball on Zoom. Joy is more than just outward expressions, though it is also that. Like how your brain chemistry actually changes when you smile or how when you laugh, even forced laughter, your body physically responds. In some future sermon, I'll have to go into more detail, but I want to share a little bit with you now about our wonderful, whimsical music director, Michelle Hecht, and how at a staff retreat, she brought a laughter yoga instructor to share with the staff here from church. And I will forever remember Pastor Seth in his leather jacket pretending to have an imaginary leaf fight. Sure, it was ridiculous and absurdist, something that Albert Camus would have written about, and maybe we started out doing it begrudgingly. But then something changed, and there was something liberating and freeing, too, as we allowed ourselves just to feel the joy of that moment. Joy is spontaneous, and joy is also that internal and intentional, what Mahogany calls those soul smile moments. Because it's in those deep soul smiles that can't be taken away. No matter what's happening in the world, you can hold those as an act of resistance. There is no denying, friends, the grief and weariness are abundant right now. I have felt it. You have felt it. 
but for our own self-preservation, maybe we too, like mahogany, need to cultivate a little joy. Maybe this Advent, we need Gaudaute Sunday more than ever. Maybe we need to mark our joy and remember it and share it so that it doesn't get lost, so that we can let it change us inside and out, and maybe let it change us outside and in. Isaiah is a perfect prophet for us to read in the midst of this time. For it is a story of a people in the midst of exile and waiting, waiting for that promised restoration. What's particularly interesting about Isaiah is that it varied from other prophets of the time and it marks a transition in ancient Hebrew prophecy. See, this second section of Isaiah, where we find our reading today, it starts with the words that we will soon sing. Comfort, comfort, O my people. In his book, The Introduction to the Hebrew Bible, scholar John Collins writes that up to this point in Isaiah, the Hebrew prophets, whose oracles are preserved in canonical scripture, prophesied war and famine and pestilence. They delivered primarily oracles of judgment and condemnation. Prophets who attempted to reassure the people were judged to be false prophets in most cases. What they had to say was labeled fake news. In 2nd Isaiah, we find a prophet whose main theme is not destruction, but consolation, and who is accepted as a genuine, true prophet of God. The difference, of course, is the change in historical circumstances. Judah and Jerusalem have been ravaged by the Babylonians. Only a remnant had been left. The prophecies of judgment had been fulfilled. Second, Isaiah prophesied at one of the most seemingly helpless and hopeful moments in the history of Israel and Judea. We, like ancient Israel, seem to be surrounded by modern-day prophets that give us oracles of destruction and judgment and doom. We, too, feel ravaged, remnants of life left. And we, too, need words of comfort. We need some good news. And this morning, we find those words here in Isaiah. We find good news for our broken hearts. We mourn, we who mourn, find comfort. In what has been laid ruin, What's worth rebuilding will be rebuilt. Isaiah reminds us that in the ways the world needs transformation, transformation will happen. The seeds that we are planting now will sprout. And so we rejoice. Last week, we had a little scare with Eliza, our five-month-old daughter. She's recently fallen in love with her bouncy chair, that one that has a claw-like hook and attaches itself to a door frame, and 
they can just bounce and bounce and bounce. And one evening while I cooked dinner in the kitchen, water boiling on the stove, music playing, we had Eliza bouncing away in the doorway to our dining room. And then she stopped. And she started this rasping noise, her breathing becoming labored. And Dan and I both ran to her, and we were worried. Was she choking? Should we call 911? What did we learn in that virtual baby CPR? And then this labored panting <sighs> turned <laughs> into a giggle, a huge smile erupting on her face. Little Eliza was learning to laugh. It didn't come naturally. It wasn't a skill that she was born with. But she watches and she mimics and she tries and she tries again. She is learning joy. Those early adventers needed joy in the midst of their waiting. Ancient Israel needed comfort and joy in the wreckage and devastation and so, too, we need these words. And we need to intentionally learn and to practice rejoicing. In this weary world, may we rejoice. May we acknowledge our pain, our weariness, and know that it is not the end. May we hold on to joy as an act of self-preservation and resistance. May we mark moments of soul smiles in the everydayness of our lives. This week, may we notice joy. May we capture it and hold on to it. And like Eliza, may we learn to be joyful, cultivating it in our lives. Maybe in a sweet note written, maybe in meals made or cookies delivered, maybe in a kind word or a smile. Maybe you sit in the sunshine for a little bit or you laugh with a friend. May we mark it, may we remember it, and may we share it. And may we watch it bloom even in the cold night of this Advent season. Amen.
And now we, may we feel God, our comforter, our strength, and our redeemer, going with us into this weary world to rejoice. Amen.